It's time for episode 352 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's as nimble as it is quick. And I'm Jack. No, I'm Micah Sargent. And I am joined across the internet by my dear friend and dungeon buddy. It's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? Oh, hi, Micah. I didn't realize we had new nicknames. Uh, <laughs> I was not prepared for that. As I have been prepared for so many other things today, I'm just usually on top of the ball so much. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of staying on top of that ball as we remain nimble and quick, I am excited to keep things moving along by introducing the guest to my left. It is the Six Colors proprietor, as well as a podcaster across so many different shows, including many on the incomparable uh, upgrade right here on Relay and the uh, co-founder of Clockwise. You guessed it. It's Jason, also the man, Snell. <laughs> Hi, Jason. Hello, Micah Sargent. I know you like it when we sing. I'm so happy. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Bravo. Uh, to my left this week, it's an iOS developer of Capsicum app and just a fantastic all-around great guy on Twitter and elsewhere. It's Ish Jabaz. Welcome back, Ish. Hello. I cannot sing, so... Oh, okay. Well, it's not mandatory. We've got just 30 minutes. We've got four guests, and it's time to kick things off with my topic. This is a WWDC show, as WWDC just happened. Uh, so my question for you is this. I would love it if you would briefly describe how you currently organize your apps. And I'm curious, how will the app library coming in iOS 14 change the way you organize them? Yeah. I Okay. So there's page one and that's got a whole bunch of apps on it that are important to me and that I use all the time. And then page two, there are some apps on there that I use some of the time and some apps that I don't really, but they're there because I'd like to think that I might use them some of the time sometime. And then there are two, I want to say pages after that, that are folders full of garbage. So uh, <laughs> how will app library affect me is... I know what pages I'm going to make disappear, and then I will use App Library instead because, quite honestly, most of the time beyond page one, I I search to launch an app. An App Library is in iOS 14 is essentially the search uh, box, the Siri suggestion box uh, for apps, the uh, App Store categories for a bunch of apps that it's processed. So you can browse through your remaining billion zillion apps or just search there, which is what I do anyway. So I, I'm looking forward to this because I, I won't have to do that maintenance of throwing all those apps that I need to keep around, but I don't like uh, in the whole uh, they'll just be gone, and I'll find them in the library. A library is a much nicer place than a folder full of garbage, don't you think? Agreed. Yeah, jeez, oh, I didn't even know that was a choice. Um, I, You know what? My, my methodology is very close to Jason's. I have you know most of the apps I use most frequently on the first page. The second page is like apps that I use occasionally. Um, and then I have a page full of folders. And then the problem is like you get the situation where you start downloading new apps, and 
I don't put them into folders immediately sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'll try out this app. And so I end up having pages after the folders that are just like the apps I've downloaded recently, but I haven't yet put into a folder. And you know why I don't do that is because putting apps into folders is really annoying. <laughs> it takes a long time to move a bunch of apps into folders. So I am totally here for this system because I think it is a huge improvement over trying to manually file all these apps together. Like Jason said, I use search for a bunch of stuff. So just make that way easier. And I don't even have to worry about where an app is. An app's location has very little relevance beyond the first screen or two. Um, and there are some apps that I like I my muscle memory knows they're in folders and I only use them occasionally. But I know like, OK, it's two swipes over and it's this folder. And it's like, all right, I'm gonna have to rethink that and move those to someplace else that like, you know, because I use them frequently enough, it should matter. But I am I am totally here for automatic app organization. My current organization would be described as not. They are <laughs> completely unorganized. So I've had over a thousand apps on my phone for at least five years. So I just gave up on the whole organizing and um, swiping between the screens. I use exclusively the um, the search for basically everything. There are a couple things on my dock that I go to, but everything else is just kind of whatever because I'm going to use search to get to it. Um, with I was 14 though, I really like the widgets. One of them is a, um, I think it's like a Siri or shortcuts widget that basically tries to figure out which apps you want to use. And you get like two rows of like the apps that it predicts, which has been pretty spot on so far. So I like that. And then the rest of my screen is just widgets now. And then I'm just using search for everything else. App library seems interesting, but does not seem faster than, um, Spotlight search. So I'll stick with that. Wow. I could just totally cut, copy, and paste uh, what Ish has just said as my answer. Beautiful. I... I don't have I don't have a thousand apps, but I've got a bunch of apps. And a long time ago, I gave up on any sort of organization of them because I love to just drag my finger down on the home screen and search for the app. When I open my phone, I have a specific app in mind that I want to go to to launch and use. And so I use Spotlight Search for everything on my phone. Um, what App Library has allowed me to do is basically hide those extra pages with junk on them. Uh, those folders full of garbage are are hidden away. And I've just got app library over there. But I don't really need to use app library so much as it's just nice to not have those little dots at the bottom of my screen. So now I've got some excellent widgets on my home screen and a simple swipe down from the top to spotlight search for the apps that I'm looking the app that I'm looking for with, of course, my most used apps on the home screen itself. Can we just be sad for a second that, that there is no app library on the iPad? Yes, like, we mm, can be. I don't yeah, understand I, why. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's a weird choice. All righty. Let us move on before I get too heated about lack of app library on the iPad to Jason's topic. Oh, Micah, don't worry. You can get mad about this one instead. So, <laughs> Mac Catalyst is a, a, a technique that Apple's been talking about for a couple of years now that lets iOS developers bring their apps to the Mac. However, in the middle of the keynote this week, Apple dropped the bomb that uh, ARM-based Macs, Apple Silicon Macs, will be able to run iPad and iPhone apps completely unmodified, just there they are running on a Mac along with Mac apps. There's even a little fake menu bar that's totally fake. 
so my question for all of you is, is Mac Catalyst still relevant? Are developers really going to want to put in a little extra work to make apps nice on the Mac? Or are Mac users sort of doomed to a future where they're just using a bunch of iOS apps and then a bunch of Mac apps all mixed together? Dan? I think there's short-term and long-term answers here. And the short-term is absolutely it's relevant. And the biggest reason is because the, the ability to run the iPhone and iPad apps is only on Apple Silicon Macs. And while that will tra- transition over the next two years, the vast majority of Macs that are going to be in circulation are still going to be Intel Macs because there are millions of them out there already. And there's just, you can't run the iPhone and iPad apps. So if you want to bring it over, you're going to have to use Mac Catalyst. It's the only option. That said, in the long term, as the, that needle shifts, right, and we're using more and more Apple Silicon Macs instead, I think that it might become less relevant. Um, Mac Catalyst and the iPhone, the way the iPhone apps work, are they both sort of use the same underlying technology. Um, and so Mac Catalyst feels like like sort of a um, an extension on top of that in terms of like, all right, you get all this stuff for free, but if you want to make your app a good citizen, you can go about like enhancing it in these ways. And so I think we'll probably see something over the long term that makes those more and more um, interchangeable, not just interchangeable, but like they'll sort of be parts of the same thing where it's like, look, by default, you can just install this, but if you want to take the extra time, Here's how it's easy to just add a couple Mac niceties to your to your app and have it run much better in the long term. So I, I think it does seem like it's been superseded, and then you throw in Swift UI on top of that, and that's a whole nother kettle of problems. That's where I keep my problems, kettle. So I uh, I think in the short term, though, Mac Catalyst is still a going concern. Yeah, I would agree largely with that. So basically, a whole bunch of folks just bought these beautiful new 16-inch MacBook Pros. And those are going to be around for a little bit. So I think if you're going to ship anything within the next like three years, I would say it's totally worth it to to invest in Catalyst. But the writing's on the wall um, that things are about to get shaken up and, and change quite a bit. So um, if I was starting like a brand new project that I wasn't going to ship for a while, I, I don't know that I'd really look into Catalyst. Catalyst already got overshadowed. Um, like this is kind of like year, year two of that. So last year... It was going to be the thing. Remember how much buzz it was around like um, Marzipan? Mm-hmm. Then there was a, a Swift UI demo, and it was basically just wiped from everyone's mind. Like, what? <laughs> Swift UI is so great. Who even cares? So, yeah, um, I, I don't know that there's much much of a future for it. But for now, if you're going to be um, kind of moving something over the next couple of years, it still makes sense. I, I agree with what everyone is saying here. I think that um, it it. If you are working on uh, a project that it's it's going to be a while before it comes out, and so it makes sense to just go ahead and go straight to Apple Silicon, um, then might as well not worry about this in-between state. Um, but I'm going to cast all of that developer stuff aside because I think everybody's covered that part and just say, I'm super excited to run iPad apps on my Mac. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I guess it's going to be so exciting. Jason, let's round out this topic. Yeah, the um, I think one I I I agree. It, Mac Catalyst in the short term is still relevant, but um, there are going to be let's be honest, there are going to be a lot of developers who don't want to do it, and Apple is going to get them on the Mac. And there are apps that I absolutely want to run on my Mac that don't run now because they're only on iOS, and that, so that part is great. I my hope in the long term is that Apple is pushing the iPad so far toward the Mac in terms of its design and in terms of. Uh, the mode where you have a keyboard 
attached to it and a pointing device attached to it, that making a good iPad app is going to involve making an, an iPad app that has good keyboard and mouse support, at which point you've almost got a Mac app already. So it may be that either Mac Catalyst will only be required to push the final little bits over the line or that it won't matter that much in the long run because a good iPad app will become more or less a good Mac app. But I do think that you can see now, um, as several of you have said, the, 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 the successions of, uh, of, of change here where you've got Mac Catalyst and you've got iPad apps, you've got Swift UI apps that are originally conceived for all the platforms and that we end up in a, a place where Mac apps are sort of like the old way to do apps on the Mac. And that's just the way of, it's the circle of life. I think a movie taught me once. So anyway, what we've really learned here is you put your garbage in folders and your problems in a kettle. (laughs) You know what? Doggone it. That was beautiful. Let's take a quick break while we all just sort of think about that great summary of the first half of the show. I'm excited to say that Linode, our dear friends and longtime sponsors are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. Look, whether you're working on a personal project or you're managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode is going to have the pricing, the support, and the scale you need to take that project to the next level. In fact, Linode has 11 data centers worldwide, including the newest one in Sydney, Australia. And with enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and its next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect a surprisingly good price. You out there can get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you're going to get access to a revamped cloud manager built on an open source single page app. You'll get root access to your server along with API version 4 and the Python CLI, nanode plans that start as low as five bucks a month, and and this is true, I've tried it, one-click installs of the most popular apps, including WordPress, LampStack, and game servers for Minecraft. So you can create a Minecraft server and hang out with your friends, all your own, plus so much more. If you head to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code clockwise2020 when creating a new Linode account, you're going to get a $20 credit toward your next project. Oh, and by the way, Linode is hiring right now. So if that's something that's of interest to you, head to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash clockwise with the promo code clockwise2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of our show and, of course, the entire Relay FM network. All righty, Dan, what is your topic? All right, so Jason alluded to the Mac and the iPad growing closer together. We saw macOS Big Sur announced and demoed, and some of the biggest changes to the Mac look and feel since macOS 10 first debuted. I'm kind of curious if you're a long-term Mac user, as I assume many of us are, how do you feel about these changes? Is that like sort of unification with the iPad something that you like? Is it attractive? Or do you think that the Mac is sort of losing some of its identity? Honestly, um, so I have it actually installed on my main machine right now, and it makes me feel old. But in, <laughs> in a, I guess in a proud way, like everything about it is great. It's cool, but it's so different. That it, it, I just feel like, wow, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, so o- overall, I, I think that it's going to be great, particularly when, um, kind of porting, not even porting at this point, just running native iPad apps on the Mac because the interfaces will be so similar that it just kind of like a seamless transition, which really makes sense. But it does feel just a lot different than the platform. Um, 
just even the smallest things, alerts, like everything feels completely different. But it is a completely new OS. We moved to macOS 11. And honestly, I have been on macOS 10 my entire tenure on the Mac. I would use the Apple IIe like super early on. That was before macOS. But for macOS, it's always been 10 for me. And now we're at 11. So it does make sense for it to have like a little bit of a different feel. Yeah, um, I think it is a huge shift. I uh, whipped out my other MacBook Pro and I uh, installed it and it felt like stepping into a whole new world. Uh, no, it was, it was just a, a very whole new different. kettle, please, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. The <laughs> kettle, the kettle. Uh, and it was, it's very different. It's, I'm, I'm on the moon and walking around with moon shoes and it's just not what I, uh, expect. And yeah, those alerts that pop up, the way that notifications are, it's all new, but I, quite like new and exciting and different and fun. And it all feels new and exciting and different and fun. So I feel very good about them. Um, and as long as the Mac continues to be a place I can go to do the work that I do and want to do, then I'm okay. So keep making the Mac a powerful machine uh, for creative work. And as long as that happens, then I've got no complaints. Um, and that seems to be uh, a continuation of the experience. So, yeah. Micah, I didn't know that we were doing Disney songs every time. So I guess Big Sur <laughs> makes me feel like I'm going under the seat. No, yes! okay. Um, <laughs> the, it's, it is weird. It is a little uh, disconcerting. Um, I've been using the Mac for since the 90s, and it is very strange. And yet at the same time, it is obvious where this is all going. A lot of the movement of UI elements uh, suggests very strongly to me that they're spacing everything out so that they can do touchscreen Macs, which seems weird until you realize so many of the apps you're going to be running were from the iPad and the iPhone and therefore are touch touch apps anyway. <laughs> um, so we're just going, it's going to be weird and new and different and um, change is what happens. Nobody's making you buy a new Mac. You can, if you, if you hate it, you can stay behind for a long time, actually. But this is, uh, this is where Apple's going. I think there's some individual design decisions that they'll probably regret, just, uh, like they did when they did the massive interface overhaul on, uh, iOS. And, uh, you know, so I think they'll back off on some things this summer. I think they'll probably back off on some things next year, but not the fundamental premise, which is that this is, uh, sort of where the Mac is going. And, uh, as somebody who uses the Mac and the iPad all the time, those are my two primary platforms, Mac at the desk and, and iPad for mobile, um, having them, uh, steal stuff from one another and come together, uh, and be more closely and directly related, uh, that works for me. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's clear this is a tale as old as time. Uh, it's just part of <laughs> the circle you. of life, people. And I, <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. Um, uh, so <laughs> I think I agree. Like, I kind of find that, that, that balance of like, this is something that I've been using for a long time and I'm very comfortable with it. But I also remember the excitement of like seeing new ways of approaching those kinds of things when, when the macOS tr transition to macOS 10 happened all those years ago. And so I think that it makes a lot of sense to reduce friction between the iPad and the Mac if people are moving back and forth. And even if they don't become ultimately the same device, having them use the same language in a lot of places is really beneficial 
for people who live on all those platforms. And I think it also enhances the fact that, you know, with technologies like Catalyst and running iOS apps directly on the Mac, that we'll see more and more parity between these applications. And it really has become just a matter of like, yeah, which device do you want to use? It's kind of all unified without being just all glommed together in the exact same thing. So I, I think it will take some getting used to, obviously. But, you know, hey, if I could get used to scrolling my trackpad in the other direction after a week, I can probably get used to some UI changes. So uh, I'm excited to see what's still in store here. Uh, thanks for your thoughts on that topic. Let us go to our last topic today, which comes from Ish. Hello. So... What do you think of this new um, format for WWDC? Um, would you want it to continue? Want social distancing? Is it necessary? Or go back to the way it was? I honestly went into it expecting that. Well, I went into it wondering, is it going to be live? Is it going to be pre-recorded? And whenever I saw that it was a pre-recorded situation, I was kind of worried about the energy. There's a different energy whenever something is live versus when it's pre-recorded. Uh, but as new things were announced and we were getting into it, I think that I stopped paying attention to that. Um, I don't... I think that that is the case more so than there was a true shift in energy. I just think that it mattered less. So I wasn't paying as much attention to it. However, I do have one complaint and it wasn't for the keynote. It was for the uh, platform's state of the union. I wouldn't mind it if things, you know, continued this way, but I want to hold on to some of that format, particularly with the slides going along with the show. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts? Oh, I love it when we all get together, but the fact is we don't all get together. Only some of us get to get together. And, and I, I think there's value in having an in-person thing, but I think what you have seen here is that it's appreciably better to have people, uh, do these pre-recorded things and, uh, and have them be very clear versus sort of wandering onto a stage in a hour long time slot and speaking for 20 minutes <laughs> and then going away again. Like it, it they can be any length. It's like uh, watching a Netflix show instead of a, a live live show. Right. It's like, uh, there's so much to be said for the, this format in terms of education for developers. And the fact is that's what WWDC should be first and foremost. So I hope that Apple offers an in-person product uh, next year, but I, I do think it's worth looking at this and saying there are lots of parts that we take for granted about WWDC that maybe shouldn't be the way they are. And if they decided to do it this way forever, um, I would miss the social aspect of it. But I think more people would be served better. Uh, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's there's so much more versatility here, not only, as Jason said, with making sessions just whatever length they they need to be rather than having you fill a time slot, but with the number of sessions too, right? Like in WWC, you have a physical restriction to how many rooms can we operate at the same time. Here, if they want to put out 50 videos at the same time, they don't need 50 rooms. They can just put them all out. Um, I think that's nice. It also means that it's easier for people who are consuming this information to not have to make the hard choice. Oh, no, I want to go to this session, but it runs against this session, right? Like there's a much more, you know, ability to consume these things on your own schedule. It also makes production easier, right? Like you can produce all these videos ahead of time. You can makes it easier to do things like transcripts, I think, providing the sample code, like all of this stuff is packaged and ready to go, basically. So there's a huge number of advantages. Uh, and as Jason said, it, it's it's available to so many more people. You don't have to feel like, oh, no, I'm not there. I'm missing out on all this important stuff. There are things and experiences that are harder to replicate. I think it'll be interesting. I haven't talked to anybody who's done any of the lab stuff, but I feel like that's one big question is how well that works. 
Um, and obviously, for those of us in the press who are used to getting hands-on, if there's hardware, there wasn't any this year, but you know, in, in other years there may be, um, that's a lot harder. You know, Apple will have to deal with briefings and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's a social aspect to it as well. I do think that's that's really the biggest loss here. And even though it wasn't everybody and not everybody got a chance to do it, it was one of the few remaining times, uh, especially since you know the demise of trade shows like Macworld Expo. Like there aren't a lot of opportunities for that number of people to get together and see everybody. So I hope there is some sort of in-person aspect in the future, but I also couldn't blame them if they decided this is the way to go from here on out. Yeah, so this is actually tough for me because the social aspect of WWDC is the highlight of my year. And honestly, when I go to the conference, I rarely actually get a golden ticket and actually go to the conference. Um, I usually just hang out and talk to folks for the week, and then I watch the videos the following week. And missing that aspect for me is huge. That said, I really feel like the actual um, content for the session time is actually more personal. Because the presenter is looking directly at the camera, so I feel like I look, I'm looking in their eyes and kind of making um, more like personal contact, which is weird. I didn't expect that at all. So in many ways, just the delivery format, the quality of the production, um, the actually the app came a long way with being able to have like the the, the bits of code and such to follow along with. That delivery for the information is the best that it's ever been. Um, and I, I worry about that a little bit because I really still want the social bit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it would be hard to go back now to not having this like high quality, um, delivery of content. Well, folks, we have uh, just enough time for a bonus topic before we round out the show. But first, I get to tell you about StackBit. StackBit offers developer tools that enable inline content editing, live previews of content pages, sharing of real-time previews, and more on StackBit's Jamstack site. All of this supports the tools developers already use and doesn't require code changes. That's why StackBit is a great way to Jamstack. That's a development architecture based on client-side JavaScript, reusable APIs, and pre-built markup. StackBit lets content editors make changes and preview how they look right on the page so you can know how the changes are going to impact that page without needing to go through a publish and rebuild. Content editors can also share real-time previews of content changes and StackBit works with your existing tools, including your static site generator, your headless CMS, and deployment solutions. Try StackBit's editing and collaboration features right now via its site builder. You just head to stackbit.com and click the Try Now button to create a Jamstack site in just minutes. It's built using modern tools and services like Gatsby, Sanity, Netlify, and GitHub. Once again, create your site today in just minutes at stackbit.com. Thanks so much to StackBit for supporting Clockwise and all of Relay FM. Alrighty, folks, you are tasked with creating a reality TV show. What's it about? I actually did this. I had to. I had to pitch reality TV shows. We had an agent and everything, and mine was called Reality Decathlon. And the idea was that you had to do segments from every single uh, different reality show. Um, so <laughs> the contestants were ill suited. So like you'd be on an like on an island for a day, just trying to survive on rice, and then they would take you to a stage in Hollywood, and you'd have to sing a song, and it oh would just keep God. going like that, and they wouldn't know what was happening next. And uh, I thought it would be hilarious, but nobody bought it. 
oh, that sounds amazing to me. Uh, I think people like watching B-list and C-list celebrities have to do things that are kind of awkward and people love cute animals. So I'm combining those two because I, I want to know what happens when David Schwimmer is forced to live in a house full of penguins. I just, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boring and geeky, but I would do like a retrospective for um, for different products being made. So we can't really know at the time what iOS 7 was like, but I'd like to have it like filmed. And then five years later, let's look back and see what the arguments were between um, Johnny Ive and the rest of the staff as we start to move along. Cool. Uh, for me, I just would love to see the drama that happens at the United States Postal Service. So it'd just be them recording the USPS and then editing it together to make like a real housewives of of whatever uh, situation, but with the USPS. Um, thank you all for your pitches. I hope they all get made into shows. Uh, but I have to say that this show is coming to an end. All that's left just for this week, by the way. All that's left is to thank our incredible guests. Jason Snell, thank you for going the distance with us today. I'm your guest. I'm your guest. Giving answers is the test. I was once a host on Clockwise. Now I sing songs of a small size. So close doors and click locks. Keep watching all the clocks. Oh, yes, I have been your guest. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. I, You know, he stole the, 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 the sign-off I was going to use. But I will say, Ishabaz, it was a pleasure having you here. And I just want to let you know that you've got a friend in me. <laughs> Thank you. I, Wow. I was not ready. It's all right. We'll we'll have to brainstorm for next time. Um, but there will be a next time. We'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>